You know, take your Bible, if you will, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. And as you know, on Sunday morning, we are going through the life of King David. We started a new study here some weeks ago in the life of King David. And we actually even continued it on Easter Sunday. If you remember, we looked at David's, the, the gospel according to David. We looked at the 22nd Psalm. And there we saw a picture of the cross. Well, this morning I've titled the message, Cave College. Cave College. And I just wonder where you went to school at. And you know, Some of you are still going to school, you young folks, and that's good. I, I remember the first day of my first day in school. Well, I did go to kindergarten. I, I, I can remember a little bit about kindergarten. What I remember about kindergarten was everybody back then, this was in the fall of 1968 when I was in kindergarten, and I remember everybody had the little metal boxes. You remember the little metal lunch boxes? I think they sell them on eBay now. They're kind of a collector's item. But everybody had a little metal, uh, a little metal lunch box that had a cartoon character on it. I can't remember the cartoon character that was on my box, but I do remember I had a lunch box. But then, of course, the fall of 1969, I was five years of age. I started the first grade. You could start the first grade when you were five if you were really getting on your parents' nerves and they just wanted to get you on out, get you on out of the house, and that evidently was the case. So uh, they put me, my mother put me in the first grade, uh, and I remember for some reason I was pretty nervous about the lunch, eating lunch. And I don't know why, but I think perhaps it was because I remember my mother telling me when we would be eating, and I'd say, I don't like that, or whatever. And she'd say, well, you, you know, when you start school now, you're just going to have to eat whatever they have for you. You know, you're not going to be able to say, well, I don't like that. And, and that, for some reason, kind of bothered me. So I was a little nervous about lunchtime, if you can believe it. And uh, so I remember my first day of school in the first grade, uh, you know, I, I've eaten, and, and, and I, I didn't like everything. There was a big square red jello. I remember, you know how they make those square jello things, and uh, of course you had the plastic trays, you know, rectangular trays in the lunchroom, and I just could not, I, I just have never been a fan of jello, and I couldn't eat that jello, and so it was still on my plate. I was a little nervous somebody might say something to me about not eating that jello. I guess I was a kid really full of nerves, <laughs> but anyway, I, uh, I remember going up, and there was a lunchroom lady, you know, she's standing there, and where the, you take your trays at, and there's some trash cans in front of her. And so I wasn't sure what to do, but they said, take your tray up there to that lady. I remember taking the tray, and, and I'm, I'm looking at the lady, and she says, shake your plate. I thought, shake your plate. It's an odd command. So I shook my plate like that. I remember the red jello just, just moving back and through like that. And I, I remember the look on that, that, that poor lady's face. She was like, let me hold it. <laughs> of course, she meant shake the food out into the trash can. And uh, so then I thought, oh, yeah, shake your plate. I don't know. You know, I thought only my first day in the first grade and my career's ruined. You know, my reputation is ruined for the rest of my life. Well, uh, you know, of course, that was my first day at school. But I look back in all my days in elementary school and junior high and high school and college, and I learned some things. You know, I, I learned how to read, I learned how to write, and, and a social activity with other kids, and, and I learned so much. And that's the purpose of school. The purpose of school is so that you might learn something. 
You know, both learn something academically, but also learn how to interact uh, with other people. And so sometimes people go to school, you ask, well, where did you go to college? And you've probably heard the expression, well, I went to the school of hard knocks. And there's often a lot to be learned, not only in an institution of learning, but there are times that there are lessons that we can only learn by experiences that we go through. And we say, boy, that was a hard lesson to learn. In other words, I I had to go through a difficult time to learn a lesson. And often, the lessons that we learn by experience are much more deeply ingrained in our heart and our soul than perhaps a lesson we learned by someone telling us a fact or telling us something. We hear it in our mind, but it doesn't often register in our soul. And this morning, I want us to take and look at David. David is going to go through a time of training. He's going to go through a time of trial. And eventually, he's going to go through a time of triumph after going through what we're going to call Cave College. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David uh, begins the story. You might remember as we have been going through uh, the life of David, David is on the run. He killed Goliath and, of course, became very popular with the people. The king at that time, King Saul, becomes very jealous of David and uh, he actually runs David out of the palace and Uh, He's now actively searching for David and desires to kill David or do David harm. And so David is on the run. And you remember before we entered into Easter, we saw the value of a friend. We saw where David and Jonathan, Saul's son, were the best of friends. And so David had some comfort from Jonathan. David ended up marrying Saul's daughter. So not only was Saul's best friend... Jonathan, the heir to the throne, Saul's son, but his wife was the daughter of King Saul. So he was actually the king's son-in-law. So he has the, the king's wife as his daughter, but yet still Saul is jealous, and Saul is trying to kill David, and David is on the run. And so we're going to begin in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and and look in chapter 22 and also uh, chapter 23 some of the things that happened to David. But before we look at the events that occurred, remember I've shared with you that David wrote most of the Psalms. And if you read about the things that happened to David in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and over in the Kings, if you read the book of Psalms, you'll often read what David was thinking when those things happened. And there's a a particular psalm, and we're going to just read it briefly before we look at what happened to David this morning. In Psalm 142, uh, David wrote a psalm when all of this was happening. He's going to go out to the wilderness of En Gedi. He's going to go into a cave um, called the Cave of Adullam. There in chapter 22. And in Psalm 142, if you look at the introduction to that psalm, it says a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. And most scholars believe it's talking about when the events of chapter 22, chapter 23, and chapter 24 occurred. David was on the run. And here David wrote a song. You know, David was a very passionate person. And he loved to, he loved to write. He loved to sing. He was a, music, a musician. And while he was on the run, he wrote this song. 
He wrote this psalm and, and he sung it, no doubt. You know, there's something about music, whether you can carry a tune or not, there's just something about music that helps express your emotions. Whether it's a sad song or a happy song or a love song or, or whatever type of... I mean, even schools. We're talking about schools. Schools have a fight song, right? Everybody, they had that song and they start playing that song. Everybody gets excited. There's something about music. So David, we see the heart of David. And I want us just to read Psalm 142. It's a very short psalm, only about seven verses. And, and this is how David was feeling when all of these events were occurring, when he was running from Saul in this cave. Notice in verse number 1, he says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. David is issuing a cry for help to the Lord. He's running. That's something we all should do when we're in a difficult Time, the Bible says to cry out unto me, to pray, to cast your cares upon me because I care for you. And then notice in verse number 3, he says, look at the circumstances he was in. He says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. You have a picture of the circumstances. David is overwhelmed. There's, there's too much for him. He says, I'm overwhelmed. My spirit is overwhelmed. He says, there's no one who acknowledges me. I'm surrounded. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. David felt all alone when he was in this cave, when he's running from, from Saul. He felt that everyone had abandoned him, and he was all by himself, so he's crying out to God. And then notice the trust that he has in God, the confidence he has in God in verse 5. He says, I cried out to you, O Lord, and I said, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. We see there a picture that although David was overwhelmed, and David, as we're going to read here in just a moment, he was in a cave, he was hiding. David still trusted, not in himself, because one of the statements in that psalm, he says, for they are stronger than I. He recognized that his enemies were stronger than him. But he says, but Lord, I trust in you. So there's a picture of what was going on in David's heart when all of this occurred. So look there in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22. And the first thing we're going to see as David begins to go to school, if you will, is he goes through a time of trial. And look there in the first four verses. The first trial that he experiences is a trial of leadership. A trial of leadership. Now, often uh, it's one thing to have to worry about your problems, but one of the, the, the burdens, if you will, of leadership is not only are you concerned about your problems, but when you have a position of responsibility or leadership, now you are burdened with other people's problems. You know, I used to work for Walmart uh, for many years, about 10 years there in Douglas, and uh, started out just a regular, what they call an associate, which basically means you're an employee, but it's a nice way. Uh, I, that's one thing I learned from Walmart. Uh, you know, if you'll change the term that applies to something, it makes you feel a lot better. You know, I wasn't an employee, I was an associate. 
But anyway, start out a regular associate. And I remember I was promoted to supervisor. And I remember the first problem I had as a supervisor was it was uncomfortable to me not having to just worry about my own performance, but now I was responsible for other people's performance. And, and that, was, that was different. And that is a trial of leadership. It is a burden of leadership. If you are a leader, then all of a sudden it's not just you you have to worry about any longer. It's everybody else that you're responsible for. So uh, David had to learn that lesson. Look there in chapter 22, verse 1. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. And David went from there to Mizpah, Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. The first thing he has is a needy family. He finds himself responsible for his family. And remember, he's on the run from the king of the land. And so his mother, his father, his family, they come to him perhaps for fear of their life. And, and so David is responsible for his needy family. And he goes there to the king of Moab and he says, listen, will you protect my family? I want you to make sure they're okay because I don't really know what's going to happen with me. I don't know if Saul's going to kill me, if I'm going to become king, but you just, you just protect my family. So he says, I'll do that. But not only that, then he's got new followers. He's got this, remember we looked at him here a couple of weeks ago uh, when we talked about uh, David as he began to run from Saul. We called him a motley crew. If you look at David's uh, guys, it says this looks like a really like a bunch you want to be in charge of. It says everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was dis discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. So it's not like David in his first trial of leadership, he gets the best and the brightest of the land and he gets to be over them. David gets to be over those that are already unhappy. They're already unhappy. They're unhappy campers. They're in debt. But they have a problem. And so now they all go to David. So David's first trial of leadership is a leadership over a, a pretty rough crew that he has to be in charge of. So, so David begins to learn how to be a leader in a very difficult place. He, of course, is leading his family, making sure they're okay, and now he's looking after this motley crew, if you will, that he is in charge of. Well, look there in verse number 5. Not only a trial of leadership, but a trial of leaving. It says, Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hera. Now we know that the Lord was looking after David. The Lord had already told David he was going to become king. And remember we talked about the sovereignty of God. And for me personally, that is a great comfort to know that God is ultimately in control. God rules and reigns in the hearts of man and also in this world. And the Lord sent a message to a prophet. And he says, you tell David he needs to leave this place. I know he thinks he's safe here, but he needs to leave. And so he tells David, you've got to leave. Well, it's one thing to have a trial of leadership. It's another thing to have a trial of leaving. 
You know, to, to move is a traumatic thing. I, I, I'm thankful when I was growing up, I, I never uh, moved. We're talking about school. I never moved. Had to move to a different community. Some of you may have experienced that move from one community to another community. And it may end up be the greatest thing ever. But often at the very beginning, it can be a traumatic thing to have to pick up roots and go somewhere else. Well, that's exactly what David, that was one of his trials, one of the lessons that he had to learn. He had to learn to be on the move. And so David had to leave and go to a different place. And then there's a third trial that he went through, and that was a trial of loss. And, and we have to kind of set the stage. If you go back to chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, uh, David again is running from... King Saul, and there's a story in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel that Jesus actually mentions in the Gospels. And you remember when Jesus' disciples were going out in the field and they were breaking corn and they were going to eat some corn and it was the Sabbath and the Pharisees always looking for fault in anything that Jesus did. They saw his disciples breaking corn, breaking a grain, if you will, on the Sabbath. And they said, aha, that's work. Aha, you're breaking the Sabbath. You can't do that on the Sabbath. That's unlawful. And when Jesus responded to them over in Matthew, and also Mark uh, gives us his account of the same incident in Jesus' life. You remember Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, don't you remember when David went into the showbread, which is only right for the priest to eat, and he was hungry and his men with him, and he asked the priest to give him the, the holy bread, the showbread that was there in the temple, and the priest gave that to David and his men to eat. And Jesus made the point that the, the man, man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. And Jesus making the point, you're getting all obsessed about a ceremonial law and you've forgotten God's moral law. And so he quotes this event that happened in chapter 21. And we don't have time to read all of it, but basically what happens is David goes there to a place called Nob to Ahimelech the priest and and I will just read the first couple of verses to set the stage. It says, And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. And then verse 6, So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the shoe bread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now important in verse 7, it says, There was a certain man of the servants of Saul was there, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite the chief of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. Now you know, Saul had not sent him on a mission. David is, is telling a lie here. Uh, he, so he's on no mission for Saul. But the priest, knowing that he's heard that David is an outlaw, he's concerned. He, he doesn't know if he, he wants to get involved with David. David said, don't worry, I'm on a secret mission for the king. Me and my guys have to have something to eat. 
And the priest lets him eat the holy bread. And then David says, by the way, we were in such a hurry, we left all our weapons. You wouldn't happen to have a sword or a spear that, that we could use. And lo and behold, the priest says in verse 9, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take, for there is no other except that one. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. So Ahimelech, he doesn't really know any different. He, he gives David something to eat. He gives him the sword of Goliath that he had kept there uh, in that city. And David goes on his way. Well, Saul shows up in chapter 22 and verse number 6. Uh, and he goes there to that place or he goes, begins to speak to his men. And he, he really dresses down his men. In verse 7 of chapter 22, it says, Saul said to the servants who stood, who stood with him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. I mean, Saul's really mad here. He's getting a little paranoid. He says, all you people are against me. Nobody's protecting me. Nobody's watching out for my back. Everybody is against me. He said, my own son is conspiring against me with David, and nobody even tells me about that. Oh, but remember the Doeg, the Edomite, Doeg, the Edomite, Edomite, who was there in the city of Nod with Ahimelech, and he saw David eat the bread, and he saw David get the sword. Uh, he speaks up. He sees, boy, this is a good time for me to get in good graces with Saul. I'm going to be the tattletale. Now's a good time for me to speak up. Verse number 9, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Atub, and all his father's house, and the priests who were in Nob. And they all came to the king, and Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you've given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? And Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And the king said, and actually Ahimelech does a good job of defense there. He, said, he kind of reminds, he throws it in. You know, he is your son-in-law, this guy. You're, you're accusing me of, of conspiring against. And, and he says, I haven't inquired of the Lord for David. He said, you've sent him on a mission. You know, I mean, uh, come on there, king. What are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priest. 
So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed them on that day, 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. So a terrible tragedy occurs. Saul in his hot wrath and jealousy and paranoia, he kills 85 priests of God that he thinks have conspired with David. Not only does he kill the priests, but he kills their families. He destroys the city of Nob where they all live. But one escapes. Verse 20, Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Atub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. And David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I have caused, listen to what David says, I, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he that seeks my life seeks your life, but you, but with me you will be safe. Not only did David face a trial of leadership and a trial of having to leave and go to a new place, but he faced a trial of loss. He recognized that his actions, his actions cost the life of 85 people, 85 priests of the Lord, and not only that, but all the city that they lived in, all all their families and, and all their possessions destroyed. And David tells young Abathar, he says, I'm the cause of this. It was because I went there and I told, I told your father, I told him that I was on the king's business. You know, I'm running from Saul. In a sense, David confesses. You know, one of the great trials that we have to learn is to, to be able to take responsibility for our actions. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we always like to play the blame game. You know, going back to being in school. I, you know, in our youngest, my, my two sisters, Aldrin and Tracy, when we were growing up, uh, you know, get in an argument or something, or go to school, you know, get in a fight. And, and what is it? They hit me first. You know, he hit me first. They did it first. They started it. You know, and uh, maybe in our mind we actually believe that. Maybe it's even true. But we're always wanting to, to, to deflect blame. And hey, it, 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 we're still the same person today. We're just a little more sophisticated in how we deflect blame and how we justify the things that we do that we know are not right. And David does something here. He takes ownership. And by the way, that's something David never forgets. You, you fast forward all the way when he becomes king and you know he sins with Bathsheba and he does all these terrible things. He has her husband killed on the battlefield. I mean, David really sinks to a low, low place. But you remember what happened when Nathan the prophet came to David you know, and he pointed that old finger at David and said, Thou art the man, O king. You're the man who has done this thing. You know, did David get angry and say, Get out of my palace. You have no right to talk to me like that. You remember what David did? David took responsibility. He said, you know what? Yes. I, I'm guilty. You know, Psalm 51 that David wrote, and when he wrote that great psalm of contrition, you know, that, that psalm of repentance. Dave, one thing about David that we should all take notice of, yes, David did some terrible things, but David always took responsibility. Maybe it was after he was confronted. But we're going to see in just a little, in just a few chapters that uh, David's going to get very angry and, 
And, and there's a woman named Abigail that's going to meet David. And, and she, in a way, is going to reprimand David. And, and David, to his credit, he takes that reprimand from Abigail. He takes this, this reprimand, if you will, from Abathar. He takes responsibility. He says, you know what? This is my fault. You come stay with me. I'll take care of you. I will protect you. I'm the reason that this all happened to you. So that's the trial that David went through. And then David, of course, went through a time of training. If you look there in chapter 23, and, and we'll just touch on this briefly. If you look there, he was trained to seek God. In the first few verses of, of chapter 23, um, they come to David. They say the Philistines are fighting against Keliah. That's the name of the city. And they're robbing the threshing floors. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack and save Keliah. But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keliah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise and go down to Kaleah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David goes down and he, he strikes the Philistines and he, and he saves that city. And then if you go down there to verse 9, it says, When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kaleah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kalia deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has said? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And David said, Will, he, will the men of Kalia deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, rose and departed from Kalia and went wherever they could. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kalia. David learned, he was trained, that he had to seek the will of God. David, three times, four times actually in this chapter, he asked, Lord, what should I do? And the first time he gets an answer, his men disagree. He says, you know, we're going to go uh, save this city from the Philistines. And they said, what? I mean, we're already in a civil war practically. You know, I mean, we're not even safe in our own country. The king is trying to kill us, and we're going to go start a fight with somebody else. We're going to go over and, and, and fight the Philistines. Bad idea, David. Bad idea. You know, one enemy at the time. And David goes back, ask the Lord again. And the Lord says, yes, you go. David did that. He went. He destroyed the Philistines. And then he got back to that city. Saul heard he was at that city, so Saul starts closing in on that city. It was a walled city that had a wall around it. And David said, if Saul gets here, Lord, are they going to turn me over? Because I know what he's going to do. He's going to besiege the city and says, I don't care about you. You hand David over. That's all I want. He says, are they going to give me to Saul? And the Lord says, yes, they are going to give you to Saul. You need to run away. And so, again, the Lord giving David direction and protection. David runs away from that city. But David learned to seek the guidance of the Lord. And that's one of the things that we have to learn as Christians to ask God, Lord, what would you have me to do? And you say, where can we find God's guidance? We certainly find it in prayer and the Holy Spirit whose, God is, whose, whose job is to lead us into all truth. But most of all, we find the will of God in Scripture. If you're a Christian, you should love the Bible and we should seek to study and learn all we can about the Word of God because the Bible, the Lord says that Thy Word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. God has written us a love letter, if you will. And that love letter is contained in the Scripture. It is the Word of God to you and I as His beloved. So David learned that he should seek the Lord 
And then David learned to trust God in verse number 26. There the Bible says, Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. Notice God's deliverance, verse 27. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines, and they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at En Gedi. So he's went through a time of trial. He's went through a time of training. And the last thing as we close that I want to end with is David's triumph. David's triumph. If you look in verse chapter 24, you know the story that David is now in the, what's called the wilderness of the stronghold of En Gedi. And when Saul finishes chasing the Philistines, it says in verse 1 that, that someone told him, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. Now, uh, if you've got an old King James or the literal translation says he went in to cover his feet. That was an old way of saying that, that he had to squat down and tend to his business. You know, you know he had to cover his feet. He, he dropped his clothes and his clothes covered his feet. And, and so he is at a very, he is at a very, uh, a time when he has no defense, okay? You know, I don't, I, I, I've got some, you know, I better just hush and move on. <laughs> I was thinking about growing up, you know, and that happening occasionally as a kid growing up. And I always had a tendency to look around, see if anything was coming up on me because you're, you're you know, you're very vulnerable, very vulnerable at that place. And so Saul goes in a cave and he's totally vulnerable. You know, he's laid his weapon down. He's taking care of his business there. And he doesn't know that David and his men are hiding in that cave. And they see Saul totally vulnerable, all by himself, with no weapon to defend himself. It says in verse 4, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Saul's got his robe hanging down at his feet. He's, he's not paying any attention and... And, and David's men says, you know, by the way, the devil will quote you Scripture. You know, Satan quoted uh, Jesus' Scripture. And, and, and the men, they quote uh, to David what the prophets have said, that, that God is going to deliver your enemy into your hand. Here it is. This is a fulfillment of God's prophecy. Here's the king. He is vulnerable. God made him come in this cave. God caused him to, 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 to sit there before you and, and be vulnerable. All you've got to do is take your sword, one thrust, and, and he is a goner. And David simply cuts off a piece of his robe. And the Bible says, Now it happened that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. Now again, we're, we're going to walk through David, and boy, David, he can really make a mess of things sometimes. But I will say something about David. He has such a tender heart. His heart is so tender at times. Now, it can be hard as rock at others, but his heart can be very tender. And, and he cuts off Saul's, a, a corner of Saul's robe, and the Bible says that troubled David. 
His conscience began to bother him. The Bible says, he says, his heart was troubled because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. So Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And David also arose and went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. Now, I've shared this before, but I think this is one of the, one of the great passages, one of the great verses in Scripture. I mean, there are a lot of wonderful scenes in Scripture, you know, that, that can really speak to us. You, you, you think about Moses when he sta- we stood before Pharaoh and he said, Let my people go. That's a great moment. You know, to stand before the most powerful man in the world and you're just a shepherd and with a staff and you say, let my people go. You give the most powerful man in the world a command. And that's Moses or Joshua. You know, when the people of Israel are wavering in their faith and Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You decide what you're going to do. That's a wonderful scene, a wonderful picture. Or David, you know, when he met Goliath and Goliath says, you know, come on out here, boy. I'm going to feed you to the wild beasts and the birds of the air. And, you know, he's cursing David by all of his gods. And you remember the story. You know, David famously says, You come at me with a sword and a shield, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whom you've defied. What a wonderful scene that is. I mentioned Nathan when he tells that sad story to David about the little lamb that, that the rich man takes from the little poor man. And he eats the, poor, the little poor boy's lamb and feeds it to his guest. And how David's so angry. He says, boy, whoever did that, he will die today. And you know, Nathan turns around and says, you're the man. You did it, O king. You're the man that did this thing. What a scene that is. But I, but I tell you, this scene where David is being chased by an angry, jealous, paranoid old king, Saul. And Saul is so paranoid of everybody and everything. And, and, and he... He doesn't realize that David is one of his most faithful servants and David could have killed Saul and ended it right there. But yet, he walks out of that cave. He doesn't know that a piece of his robe is missing. And David steps out of the cave and Saul's down there with his men now. And he says, My Lord the King! And Saul's trying to find David. He looks up and there's the man he's been trying to find at the, at the open of the cave that he just left. And he holds up that little piece of garment. He says, you know, I know everybody's telling you I'm trying to kill you. I'm trying to take your throne from you. But, O king, look. Here's here's proof that I am your loyal servant. I have no ill will toward you, O king. But you know what really bothers Saul? And we find out here. You know, Saul is so wishy-washy. I mean, if David is a person we should emulate in most things... Saul is a person we should beware of. You know, I mean, Saul goes from one moment, you know, he's, he, he's wanting to kill David. And now when he sees David, his heart grabs him and, and Saul begins to weep. Notice what Saul says. He says in verse number 16, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I. For you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you've shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. 
And now I know. And again, verse 20, I believe is what really bothers Saul. He says, For now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. I tell you, that was David's, I believe, greatest victory. And you know, there's three levels you and I can live on. I'm going to ask you, Tyler, if you'll come and begin to prepare us a hymn of invitation. There's three levels that you and I can live on. You can live on the devil's level, and the devil's level rewards good with evil. When people do good to you, you just do evil back to them. That's the devil's level. That's as low as it gets. Or you can live on the world's level. You know, I had a lot talking about school. I had a lot of substitute teachers. I had a favorite phrase when I was going to school. They said, now kids, listen, I'm going to be your teacher today, but I'm going to tell you this. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If you're mean to me, I will be the substitute teacher from hell. I will be mean (laughs) to you. That's the world's level. You reward good for good, and you reward evil for evil. You're good to me, I'm good to you. You're evil to me, I'm evil to you. That's the world's level. Or you can live on the Lord's level. God's level. God's level is not like Satan who rewards good with evil. God's level is not like the world who rewards good for good and evil for evil. But on God's level, we reward evil with good. That's not possible in our human strength. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those that persecute you and seek all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. But yet David in that moment was able to do it. He won a great victory just like he defeated Goliath, a physical enemy. He defeated an emotional enemy, a spiritual enemy. When everyone around him said, kill Saul, kill him now, now. All your misery will end. You won't have to live in caves anymore. Do it, do it. David said, I will not do it. Remember Saul's servants when he told them to kill the priest. He said, oh no. Oh, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, king. I'll die in battle, but I'm not going to kill the priest. That's the Lord's priest. I'm not going to do it. David had that sense of awe. He said, you know, Saul has wandered away and he's not who God wanted him to be, but he's still the Lord's anointed. God put him there and I'll let God take him out. I'll not take him out. I'll let God do it. And that's one of the great things that we must learn to do. We must learn to trust God whether It's cave college like Saul or David went through. In all our learning, we must learn, Lord, I've got to trust you. I can't make things happen for my benefit. I'm just going to trust you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your word that gives us stories of faith. Lord, stories of trial and tribulation that we might gain encouragement and strength from as we go through our trials and our tribulations. We thank you for the story of David a flawed man who made many mistakes. But yet, God, we see in his life an example, an example of of how to follow you, and even when we fall, to get back up and, and try again. And, Lord, of trusting in you, not taking matters into our own hand, but, Lord, trusting in your providence and your sovereignty. I pray, God, you'll help us to win victories over our adversaries that we face, whatever they may be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
As we stand and sing, if you're here this morning, maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe you're here, you want to make a public decision for the Lord. You come and I'll be glad to pray with you as we stand and sing.